Good morning, stand on your feet with us. He's faithful this morning. Let's sing to him.
life this morning. Declare it. I'm no longer a slave. called us yours. We are your children. You've rescued us from the chains of sin, from the chains of death, from the chains of fear. All of it's gone, Lord Jesus, in your name and in your power. Today we declare this over our lives, that we'll no longer be held back by these chains, Father, because your love was so great. It sent your son to the cross to pay our price, Lord. You were our ransom, Jesus. You were our ransom, Jesus. Now we get to live in your freedom. We get to live in your freedom, Father God. We thank you for this time of worship, Lord. We just exalt your name, my God and my King. There's no one like you in all of the earth, Lord Jesus. We place you, Lord Jesus, on the throne of our hearts this morning and every day, Father God. And we'll be so careful to give you glory and honor. And everybody said, and everybody said, Come on, everybody said, amen. David said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Welcome to the house of the Lord. There's so many beautiful people around you. Before you sit down, greet two or three of them as we move forward. Well, good morning, church family. Yes, 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 yes. So good to declare uh, God's praises this morning with you. Declare a goodness of a God who will never fail us now that we are his. Man, I am excited you can feel God in this room and I know that he has great things in store for us. If you're new to the assembly this morning, we just wanna take a second and in the seat back in front of you, there's a connect card. We'd love to connect with you, have an opportunity to just let you know some of the great things we have happening here. If you've had a chance to attend the church but haven't checked out Grow Track, next Sunday at 9 o'clock we kick off Grow Track, um, and we would love to have you come and be a part of, of what our church is all about. You'll find out some great ways for you to plug yourself in uh, to be a part of the unshakable kingdom of God that is happening right here at the Assembly in Broken Arrow. Well, we have an exciting week ahead. Our kids' ministry has a swim day. With this heat, there's nothing better than jumping into a pool. Forest Ridge, 9 o'clock Wednesday morning. You can get more details online. Show up, bring a bathing suit, um, and you guys can have just a great time as you swim. 
Well, one of my great mentors said, without a devotional life, you will have an emotional life. So we have some resources available to you out in the lobby, five bucks. Um, you can get, Steve is excited, so go get some books, two or three, um, and uh, just continue on in your personal development. Love to just invest in you guys as you have a chance to check some of that stuff out. Well, we have a save the date. Coming up in September, there is a great women's ministry event. We'd love to have you just check out a short clip of what it's gonna be about. by the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus has leveled the playing field for all of us. That is Maria Durso, and she will be with us. So if you're a lady, mark your calendars, let your friends know now to make plans to be a part of it. It is just gonna be an incredible time. She is a fireball, and she will just energize you, and you'll have a great time. Well, for me, this is one of the busiest times of the year. I know for you, it may be summer, but this is we're on the precipice of kicking off our short-term missions trips for this summer. If you are going to go on a short-term mission trip, whether kids, uh, teenagers, or adults, would you just stand right now? I wanna take a chance to recognize you. Look across here. We have almost 100 people total going on a short-term missions trip. And here's, if you guys will just stay standing, here's what I'd like to do. I'd like for us in these next few minutes as the ushers make their way, I wanna pray a prayer of blessing upon every person who's taking the good news of the gospel to a place around the world. We have trips to Malawi, DC, Kansas City. Um, we're going to Belize tomorrow early in the morning. Kansas City will leave. I'm telling you, our church is expanding the good news to all people. And you guys have been a part of that. You're partnering. Some of you are giving your time, your energy, your money. And if you're around one of these people, I just want you to place a hand on them, stretch out your hands, pray for them that God will anoint them powerfully as they make connections tomorrow that will be an everlasting connection to the kingdom of God and the cause of Christ. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the opportunities to partner with you. We thank you that we can learn and grow in moments like this, but God, we thank you that you send us out to a lost and dying world with the good news of the gospel. God, I thank you that there's not a people group that you don't affect with the good news of your son, Jesus Christ. And God, we thank you that you entrust that ministry to us. And I pray that you would anoint every team, every member, God, that you would be with them. God, that you would be with travel, that you would be with every uh, detail, every planning, every airline, uh, flight. God, I pray right now that you would just make things go smoothly so that we can minister as effectively as possible to those that need to hear about you. God, we thank you that you allow us to partner with you in kingdom work. And God, we pray right now that as we go, that there would be blessings that follow because of who you are and what you're going to do in lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
before the worship team leaves, and I know the, the vocal team, perhaps they can hear me. Church, it, the talent that God has given us is incredible, but the presence of the Lord on them and the passion they have to not just kind of sing us through a set of songs, but to help us reach to Jesus and declare truth and to fill this place with an awareness of Him. It blesses me, and thank you for coming strong every Sunday. You guys are amazing. Come on, we, we are such a blessed church. It is incredible. Yeah, go ahead, give them some appreciation. It's, it's a dedication that they make every single Sunday. Thank you, guys. That says it all right there. Love you, man. Love you, Garrison. Love you, buddy. Man. To those of you who know Jed Cravalo, we prayed for him at the end of last Sunday. Uh, we have seen a miracle this week, and we're celebrating the amazing turnaround in his health and all the complications that were a result of this stroke. A very young man, sweet family. His wife, when this stroke happened, she was within two weeks of giving birth to their third child. And there he was, intubated and so heavily sedated. I mean, for, what was it, a couple of weeks. Like, just the, the questions surrounding everything that happened and what the results would be. Uh, his wife has just walked through this. His parents, his his entire family. And so I'm happy to announce today, Jed has made, uh, by the help of Jesus, a miraculous turnaround. Amen. Thank you for your prayers. And last night, around 8 o'clock, Chelsea gave birth to their very healthy third child. So the Lord is good. We're in the book of Mark. We started last week, we continue today, and if you have your Bibles, find Mark chapter 1. We're looking at what is called uh, the temptation of Jesus. Right above this passage, which starts in verse 12, says, Satan tempts Jesus. This is, a, this is a huge passage. And so as I get into this with you, I just want to tell you I'm glad you're here. And as I look across this place, I see people that I love so much. I'm excited for you and what's going on in your life. There's a sense of purpose and destiny that is coming. And if you listen to this message today, it can provide protection for your destiny. It can empower you. Somebody's going to see some things in a way today that it's like a, a light's going to come on and, and it's going to expose the very intentional effort of Satan to come at you, to tempt you, to bring destruction in your life. Jesus is all about life. Satan is all about death. And today, there's going to be part of this message. It, it's, it's going to be heavy, but it ha we have to get in the trenches today to get real with this so that we can come out of it really clear and empowered to fulfill the life God has for you. I, I'm telling you from the core of my soul, the Lord wants you to win. He did not die and rise again for, for you to have a life that is messed up, that is racked with a lot of pain, a result of poor choices, and falling into the trap of temptation. I'm calling this tempted but triumphant. I never use the word triumphant, 
but it just has a vibe to it that I think is necessary for this message. So I want your hearts to be open, get engaged with this. And what I love about Mark, he's just to the point. Like he doesn't elaborate. If I lived in, in Bible days and Mark was a pastor, I would have gone to his church because he preached really short sermons and you could beat John the Baptist to the buffet and just have a great time. You'd never miss the game on Sunday afternoon if Mark was your pastor. Your pastor is Ron. Get settled, get comfortable. We may be here until about 4.30. So here we go, two verses. Immediately, the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. And he was there in the wilderness 40 days, tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild beasts, and the angels ministered to him. Amen, let's go home. That's, that's Mark's description of the temptation of Jesus. He captures the power of it, but let's make sure we get it by being reminded that there were three amazing, significant temptations, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And how Jesus is going to manage this will mean everything to you and me. If, if he doesn't win this epic battle, then the crucifixion means nothing. It matters not that he can rise from the dead if he misses it in this temptation. Because when he goes to the cross, he has to go there as a perfect sacrifice. But he had to be tempted in all points like as we are, so that fully God and yet fully man, when he goes to the cross, he is triumphant, dying and rising again, so that now we have the power to live the life we're saved to live. So when Luke talks about the temptation of Jesus, he stops and puts the genealogy of Jesus in between Jesus coming out of the, the river Jordan from being baptized and going into the wilderness. Mark, he just says Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist. The voice of God is heard. The Holy Spirit comes down. It's amazing. And that's the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And right at the beginning of his ministry, Satan comes with this, this assault on his character and this epic battle. Now, what we don't get in Mark is that it wasn't just 40 days and then he was tempted. He had fasted 40 days. And that's important to know. And then Satan comes with this fury of temptation. But why does Luke put the genealogy between him being baptized in the Jordan and going into the wilderness. Because Luke wants us to get the, the fuller context. When Jesus responded to the temptations, he did so with scripture. Scripture from the book of Deuteronomy. Not just any random passage, but Moses spoke these words and now Jesus is repeating them. Moses spoke them at the end of 40 years of Israel wandering in the wilderness and constantly messing it up. But Jesus, after 40 days, like a parallel yet with a great contrast, after 40 days, he is tempted and he gets it right. Now there's, there's a point there because Israel in the Old Testament was called like the son of God, God's nation, God's people, and they mess it up. But then here comes Jesus. John the Baptist says he is the Christ. He's the Messiah. He is the Son of God, ties it back to Yahweh, back into Israel, so everybody listening would know this isn't just anybody. This is 
the Son of God, and he goes and is tempted. And instead of messing it up, he succeeds perfectly. Now when he goes to the cross and he rises again, he can ultimately ascend and be seated at the right hand of the Father, having been tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin, the victorious, awesome, almighty Son of God, our Savior. It's the most amazing news. Now, the genealogy doesn't just take us back to Israel, but back to the Garden of Eden. In the Garden of Eden is what we call Adam, the first Adam, and Jesus in the New Testament is called the second Adam. The first Adam was in a place of perfection. He had everything he wanted. He could have anything at his disposal. It, it, just imagine him, there, there's fulfillment. Jesus, the second Adam, is at the end of a 40-day fast, and there's physical hunger, and Satan comes and tempts him. Adam messes it up, but the second Adam wins the victory. See the parallel, yet in great contrast. The first Adam made horrible choices, and as a result, a curse fell on the human race to where uh, we don't have to sin to be sinners. We're literally born with a sin nature because of the choice of the first Adam. That curse fell on the whole human race. But the second Adam, Jesus Christ, comes, and he is tempted, but he doesn't mess it up. He succeeds, ultimately dies in our place, an adequate, effective sacrifice, satisfying all the justice of God and the penalty and price of sin, and he rises again, and in so doing, he reverses the curse and throws a door open to whosoever will to be saved, forgiven and put on a path of destiny for which we are all created. That's where we get excited. That's the good news. So that's kind of context. Like Mark, is like he was led in the wilderness. He was tempted. Wild beasts were there. Angels came and ministered to him. It's awesome. He won. Drop the mic. Luke says, wait a minute. Let's elaborate on it. So what does all of this mean? What does it mean to you and me? So he's the second Adam and he wins the victory. What about this afternoon when we're tempted or tomorrow? What about when you come into the temptation where everything inside of you wants to go for it? Can we be tempted and yet triumphant? And I'm submitting to you today, yes, but I want to have a real talk. I want to have a conversation with you and let you just take this in and process it and see how it can help you. When we talk about temptation in the Bible, it's a fishing term. The Greek word for temptation becomes a picture, and it's the angler who so effectively casts the bait and works the lure that the fish cannot resist, the fish strikes, the fish is caught, the fish is trapped. The enemy, the ultimate angler, Satan himself, wants to so get your attention that you are led away of your own evil desire, lust. And when that evil desire conceives, it gives birth to sin. And then sin matures. And when it's full grown, the Bible says, it doesn't give birth to where you're happy and satisfied. It gives birth to death. Today, I want to expose 
the ultimate angler. I want to paint a picture that you can't miss. I want to give you some, some support and a workable lead on winning. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, with our hearts open, our minds are ready, help us out. There are people here, they're on the verge of getting married, and I want that marriage to be the best. I want it to just go from one level of fulfillment to the other, and yet you are trying to dismantle every marriage covenant. So let this speak to people who are married. Let this speak speak to people who are engaged. Let this speak to all of the single people in this room and the kind of season they're in and the, the temptation associated with their season. Let this speak regardless of age or gender, because you, Lord, we know the enemy has no respect for our age or, or our season of life. He, he is coming to allure us so that it can bring death. You have come to give life, and we want to be all about it in Jesus' name. And everybody said? I was blessed by a dad who took me fishing. At a very young age, he, he started teaching me how to use the most basic rod and reel and cast. And I remember my brother and I in this little flat-bottom fishing boat. Dad's in the front, I'm in the middle, brother's in the back. And we are casting. And at that age, casting, to me, was more fun than catching. Maybe because I hadn't caught enough fish, you know, because we did a lot more fishing than we did catching. But casting was like the competition between my brother and me and we would see how far we could cast. And we we're in this setting where we're using this bait that had three treble hooks. It was what's called a crankbait. And we were throwing those things as far as we could. And I'll never forget, I can still hear the sound. I come back to cast and my bait, it gets hooked and I feel the grind of the, the gears in the, re- in, in the reel. And it's a bad scene because I hear this scream and it's my dad. He's like, ah, and I turn around and I lodge that crankbait right in his cheek. Now, let me give a testimony. I'm still here. Uh, and dad, he didn't say words that can't be repeated in church. Like, that's awesome. You talk about a test of character. That's it. And I'm still here. Two great wins right there. He has so much, just so patient. He's I didn't get any of that, but he's so patient, and he worked, he worked those hooks out of his jaw, and, and, and I don't want to get too graphic, but there was part of it that was just really tough, and he got it out, and he was like biting on a stick while he pulled it out. Anyway, so he then takes the line, and he cuts that bait off, and he reaches into the tackle box and gets his little bitty hook and a cork. And he says, now you drop that over the side of the boat and don't move until I say. I'm so glad he didn't give up on me, though. He kept taking me fishing until we graduated to what is called an open face kind of a reel. You know what I'm talking about, those of you that fish? And, I mean, those things can back up on you and backlash. We call it a crow's nest, not a professional overrun. It was a crow's nest. And Dad would get it out and let me go again, and, and it would happen again. And he just stayed with it until I, I got the rhythm of it, figured it out. And so I haven't, like, fished avidly, but it's a fun thing to do. But in our church, we have a professional bass fisherman. He's amazing. And I've gone fishing with him a handful of times now. 
And to watch somebody who really knows what they're doing, it's fascinating. I've been in a boat, and there was never less than three of us in his boat. And it's not a flat-bottom fishing boat. It's like, hello, real deal, the kind of boat we all should have. And he won it in a bass fishing tournament, $50,000 boat. So here we are in this boat, and we're fishing, all three of us. But he's the only one catching fish because he knows what he's doing. Like, really. And to watch his preparedness, his awareness, his knowledge, his intentionality all come together, and he is catching these fish, just gave me such a picture of the ultimate angler. His equipment, he has the sonar, where he understands what's happening underwater. The depth, the, what the terrain is, what the vegetation is. Even if there are fish, he can quickly eliminate places where you're not gonna catch fish, but you may have caught fish there yesterday. But weather, time, changes conditions. And so what once was a hot place and what once was a bait the fish were striking, it may change. And an angler knows how to put all that together to look at his equipment, the rods, the reels. He opens up like an underground closet, looks like Bass Pro Shop. And there's every bait, size, style, color, because he knows when he fishes the water, the conditions, it's going to determine what bait, size of bait, color of bait, and then he knows how to work that bait in such a way that the fish cannot resist. There's the picture of what the Bible is trying to communicate. Satan, the ultimate angler, is not omnipresent, but he's organized. And he knows the conditions. He knows kind of like the spiritual temperature, the emotional temperature of your life. He knows what's going on around you right now. He moves into your world, and he's very intentional. He's very prepared. He's very aware. He's very aggressive. When Derek goes into an area and he starts casting, I've watched him cast overhand, long cast, underhand, backhand, flip it, amazing, can drop it wherever he wants it. He said to me, cast right over there, and I might be 20 yards from over there. He can put it right, and then he'll work it, and he keeps working. He's like, I know there's a fish in there, and he works that bait until here it comes, and then there's the splashing and the thrashing, and the ripple effect from the thrashing is a prime example that when you get caught in the trap of sin, it's not just you that gets hurt. There is a ripple effect that goes through the lives of all of those who know you and love you. So here is the picture of Satan, so intentional, so coming at just the right time, in the right way, using what you are most likely to strike. Question, can we be triumphant? You know, there's some huge bass still in the water because they watch their friends strike and they never came back. And they're like, you know, I'm gonna let it go on by because it didn't go well. Can we be triumphant? We don't do so well learning from others. Just knowing what has happened in the lives of others does not empower us to overcome. There is power to overcome, and I want to get at that, but let me make two observations. Look at the screen with me. 
The focus of Satan's efforts is always the same, to deceive us into believing that the passing pleasures of sin are more satisfying than obedience. Now, you all know that, but just take it in as we're kind of have a sober mind, a time of clarity here on a Sunday morning, and this is where Satan makes the effort to show you just the tremendous side of temptation, not the horrendous side. This is where he so disguises temptation, it's so tremendous, you don't even know it's temptation. I've seen Derek say, look at my line. I have a fish. That fish has taken the bait, but Derek hasn't set the hook. That fish is taking off. That fish is thinking, this is my day. This is awesome. He has no idea what's in his future. It is so tremendous that he doesn't even realize He's just taken temptation. Then the hook is set, and it gets horrendous. This is where the enemy shows us the pleasure side, and we don't think about the pain side. We get so narrowly focused, and and we're burning with temptation. We're so captivated by the energy of it, the fascination of it, the seduction, the the passion of it, that we, we have no way to process Tomorrow, next week, next year, five years from now. This is where he only shows us the bait, but he hides the hook. And makes us think that obedience doesn't pay. Second observation. Temptation is often strong because it comes in the form of an enticement to satisfy legitimate needs through illegitimate means. This is probably the way temptation happens the most. When Jesus says at the end of a 40-day fast, there's nothing wrong with eating. Satan tempts him to turn a stone into bread. After 40 days, I try to turn anything into bread. Like no food, 40 days, you're, you're hungry. And there's nothing wrong with eating. There's nothing wrong with bread. That's legitimate. But in that context... Jesus would have been meeting a legitimate need through an illegitimate means. There's nothing wrong with satisfaction. There's nothing wrong with relief if you are in a very tough season. But if Satan dresses relief and satisfaction in a temptation that you have to sin to get the relief and the satisfaction, then you have met a legitimate need through an illegitimate means, and that's sin. We tracking? See how this works? Think about the things that come against you, probably in and of themselves. It's not sin. But if you satisfy that leading and that longing outside of scriptural boundaries, it is sin, and sin brings death. Like, it it works such a destructive way pattern on the inside it can destroy relationships it can destroy your sense of identity it can take away your confidence you'll lose the ability to relate to people to hold a job successfully the devastating consequences see here's the thing we don't get to choose the consequences so this is where you take sin so seriously this is where you take it as seriously as the bible says it There is grace for you no matter what. 
This is a day of good news, but in, in this moment, I want to tell you, sin is as serious as the Bible makes it. Sin is destructive. Sin and Satan, Satan is playing for keeps. No one is ever addicted enough for Satan. He's not about just sidetracking you or distracting you. He is intentionally planning and working for your destruction. So take sin that seriously, and then you might see, wait a minute, I, I, I'm going through such a struggle and I need some relief, but yet if I do that, I'm gaining relief through a sinful means and that will, that will only make it worse. I'm empty, I want fulfillment. But I know if I go after him, he's married, that's out of bounds. If I go after her, that's out of bounds. I have three kids at home, I'm worn out, Life is tough. Finances are less than what they need to be. He's so caught up trying to make ends meet. We don't talk like we should. We don't relate like we should. Intimacy, what is that? And then you start seeing somebody in your routine that seems, just creates a little electricity, a charge. Enter a conversation. Emotional energy. Emotional needs start being met. It can move into a, to even farther to where sexual energy gets involved. And like that fish, you've taken the bait. What you needed was legitimate. How you are getting it is illegitimate. So how do we triumph? Here's number one. My encouragement to us is to know yourself. And here's the question I've crafted. This gets right to the bottom line. Ask the question often. If I were the devil, where would I attack me? And immediately you know the answer. We don't need to go off and get a journal and get alone. Spend 30 minutes or an hour, or I'm going to take a day, and I'm going to get the answer to that question. You already know. See, a great angler, Derek goes in and he says, here, I have all, all of these different lures, but here's the one that's going to work today. In this place, at this time, this is going to work. A great angler is not interested in using a bait that fish aren't biting. If you were the devil, what bait would you use to lure you? Now, when you get that, you can now be proactive because you're identifying weakness. You're identifying vulnerable spots. You are identifying maybe where you failed in the past, which is probably a strong indicator of what the enemy would like to use yet again. So that leads to this second thing. Look at it with me. Confront and conquer temptation at the beginning, not at the end. Like, if, you, if you're not being tempted right now, set some things in order because temptation's coming. But when you get in the heat of the temptation, it is hard to think about legacy, testimony, influence, 
People you love, people that are going to be hurt by it. It, it, You get caught mentally, physically, emotionally in the attraction and desire. Evil desire starts going, and you can't do the math to where if two plus two equals four, I don't like four, so I'm not going to do it. No, while you're sober-minded, this is where you say, okay, I know how he's most likely to attack me, so what can you do to create an environment that makes it difficult for Satan to get at you? We can never live a life where we're not tempted. You can't create an atmosphere around you where you're not tempted because he can come right to your mind at any point. But when he comes to your mind with what's most likely to get at you, are there things that you could eliminate from your environment that would, would give that temptation greater horsepower? See what I'm saying? And you know what that is for you. I know what that would be for me. So it allows me to take some action. You cannot eliminate desire. You have to elevate desire. And this comes to my next point to me, which is the foundation, the most important one. The other two, no one will even think about them if we don't get this one right here. Here is the number one way to triumph over temptation. Stay in perpetual fascination with Jesus. Right there. Love Jesus. The enemy is all about you becoming casual in your Christianity, lukewarm in your relationship with Jesus, to where sin looks way uh, more attractive than it really is. To where you can be in a temptation and it doesn't even feel like you're in a temptation. Like it's that deceptive and you've so weakened your relationship with Jesus that you can't even consider the aftermath. A perpetual fascination with Jesus. If you are casual in your love for Jesus, you will not be strong in your resistance to temptation. Hashtag tweet that. Right? Like, get that. If I am casual in my love for Jesus, I will not be strong in my resistance to temptation. When I am in a a heart for Jesus, I'm fascinated with his greatness, his grace to me, his his impact on me. That's where I have the potential to elevate desire because I can't eliminate it. If you try to confront temptation by saying, I'm going to kill that desire, it's probably a legitimate desire that you are satisfying in an illegitimate way. You've got to elevate that desire Grow self-control and only find satisfaction within the boundaries of Scripture. Elevate desire. What I'm saying here is that can we be so in love with Jesus that we want to honor him? Can we be like Daniel who said, look, I have purposed in my heart not to defile myself. Can we get to a point where we say, I am so on fire for Jesus that I'm going to fight the fire of temptation with the fire of the Holy Spirit. You see, the fire of Satan, the enemy fire, cannot burn what's already burning. And if I'm on fire with the love and the passion of God, if I'm waking up and I'm 
worshiping and I'm reading the scripture and I'm living in that kind of reality through the day with a consciousness of the presence of God, it's going to make it a lot more difficult for Satan to attract me to something that could destroy me. So don't be casual. Live with a fascination. If we get this, then you would be willing to ask the question, what's the devil most likely to use? You then will go home from this service and say, knowing he's going to use that temptation, this right here is not going to be in my home. This right, this person doesn't get to hang around me anymore because he or she makes it too easy. I'm not going to watch that because it ignites that temptation inside of me and I move into sin, so that's blocked. See, that's where we take action. Will you still be tempted? Yes, but the enemy doesn't get to use that tool because you've eliminated it. Let me kind of sum it all up, and I want you to watch this. There's a proverb that I think is one of the most graphic, most powerful, and everything I've told you is captured in this, and then we're going to respond. This is Proverbs 7. Let me set the context. At the window of my house, I look down through the lattice. Now, let me explain. This is Solomon writing, and it's like he's in a second-story apartment. He's looking down on the Rose District. He's seeing the activity. He's seeing the flow of life. He's got a vantage point, and he's going to give us a vantage point. Verse 7. I saw among the simple, I noticed among the young men, a youth who had no sense. I don't want any teenager to get offended by that. Let me, let me explain. He's saying, here's a young man. If this young man had more life experience, he may be a little bit more alert to what's about to happen to him. But what Solomon is getting at is how many people who do have the life experience get in a situation where they, they ignore where they know their path is taking them. For there is a way that seems right, but the end is destruction. Verse 8. He was going down the street near her corner, walking along in the direction of her house. Direction. Direct. Watch the fish come out and start following the bait, direction. Direction leads to a destination. Comes out at twilight as the day was fading, as the dark of night set in. Environment, probably not the wisest place to be at that time. Verse 10. Then out came a woman to meet him, dressed like a prostitute and with crafty intent. Dressed like a prostitute, but she wasn't a prostitute. It's important to know. Verse 11. She is unruly and defiant. Her feet never stay at home. Now in the street, now in the square, at every corner she lurks. But to the young man, it doesn't look like she's lurking. This is Solomon who's giving us a vantage point. Verse 13. She took hold of him, kissed him, 
and with a brazen face, she said, listen to these words. Today, I fulfilled my vows, and I have food from my fellowship offering at home, which in this context, this lady is relaxing the boundaries of her spiritual journey to make room for this sin. You know you're in a dangerous place when you know truth, but you have found a way to rationalize the sin and make it fit within the context of your relationship with God. Church people, church-going people, Christ-following people, dial into that. This is how the natural mind and evil desire and the work of Satan will come against us until we have placed it as okay, even though we are followers of Jesus. Verse 15. So I came out to meet you. I looked for you and have found you. That's how he'll talk to you. That's how she will talk to you. Until you believe that. Solomon's going, she's lurking. But to the young man, he's like, you are looking for me? Yeah, you. I know all these other people, but I've been looking for you. I I finally found you. Like we reconnected after all these years. It's just you. I've longed for you. Verse 16. I have covered my bed with colored linens from Egypt. That means let's do Netflix and chill. That, that's the way it would read. <laughs> Verse 17. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Verse 18, come, let's drink deeply of love. Oh, yes, this is love. Till morning, let's enjoy ourselves with love. Verse 19, my husband is not at home. I guess not. (laughs) Just let me throw that in because watch, watch, she's, she's, she's working him. He's gone on a long journey, so we don't have to hurry. Like, you can stay the night. We'll wake up in each other's arms. This is going to be amazing. This doesn't have to end for a while, because look at verse 20. He took his man purse (laughs) filled with money. It took a purse to take all that money, and she's like, I know his schedule. I've got it. I I know. know. He's gone for a while. So she has strategized, she has organized, she has prepared her environment and prepared herself. And she's saying, it's you, it's all about you, it was all for you, it's me and you, and it's me and you for a while. This, and at this point, Solomon is in the apartment, and the song playing in the apartment is the theme song of Jaws. But all he hears is Bruno Mars. This is what I like. 
verse 21. With persuasive words, she led him astray. She seduced him with her smooth talk. Now watch verse 22. All at once, he followed her. And Solomon says, like an ox going to the slaughter, like a deer stepping into a noose, next verse, till an arrow pierces his liver, like a bird darting into a snare, little knowing it will cost him his life. This guy's hearing Bruno Mars. He's hearing it's all about me. This is love. This is, this is, this is the notebook. We... And yet Solomon has this perspective. You're an ox about to be slaughtered. You're like a deer that gets caught in a net and the hunters are in hiding. And once you're caught, they're going to come out with spears and they're going to murder you. You're the bird that is darting. You're going right into a trap. But you couldn't have convinced the young man of that. Because he's only been shown the bait. And Solomon's like in that second story apartment just wanting to say, stop, stop. Maybe the Holy Spirit is saying to you today, stop. Because it's not what you think. It's not going to turn out the way you think. It's not going to be all that. It will be good. It will be pleasurable. No one would sin if it wasn't fun, if it didn't have a tremendous side to it, if it didn't have pleasure to it. But there, that is only one side. So verse 24, Now then, my sons, listen to me. Pay attention to what I say. Do not let your heart turn to her ways or stray into her paths. Many are the victims She is brought down. Now, she can be whatever the vice is in your life. And it feels so amazing and it's so awesome, but I'm telling you, you're going to line up with all the other victims that have been brought down. Her, Her slain are a mighty throng. Verse 27, and finally, her house is a highway to the grave leading to the chambers of death because when... A man is tempted, a woman is tempted. It is when their evil desire conceives and gives birth. And it gives birth to sin. And when sin is full grown, no one's going, Woo! They're going, what was I thinking? Because it brings death. As the worship team comes back. You see the process, you see the approach. The value of your life and your future are worth way more than the temporary pleasure of sin. The way of the sinner is the hard way. There is a path, it looks so good, it feels so good. It's hard to think it could be wrong when everything about it seems so right, but the end thereof is destruction. The Holy Spirit may be saying to somebody, you need to stop in your tracks. For some, you may say, what do you do? 
If you just followed the path and you are in it and you see it now for what it is, you repent, it's not over for you. Where, where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. Repent. Come out of that today. If you're in that zone where you're like, nobody knows, nobody's going to know, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. Your legacy, influence, testimony, the people who love you, they're worth it. Jesus is worth it. None of us bat a thousand. Every single one of us have followed the bait in some way or many ways. And, and we, we took a hook, line, and sinker. So we're not going to try to present ourselves as though this is other people. We've all sinned. So that levels the playing field. But here's the thing. Once you get into the snare and you feel the guilt and the shame, then the, the enemy who led you into that and tempted you tapped in on that evil desire. He then comes and he wants to mark your life by your worst mistake. But if you'll watch the activity of Jesus in the life of people in the New Testament, you'll see it in the book of Mark. He comes into a person's life where otherwise they would have been marked by their worst mistake, and he marks it with the day of the most amazing grace. And it becomes a testimony of what they came out of. Today, you can be marked by that grace. Today, you can be marked by freedom and an opportunity. If you'll shine some light on it, it'll start to die. A young man came up to me after the first service. And he said, that's the message that I put into practice several months ago. And he said, just tell everybody it works. He said, I got honest. I got real with where I was and what I was doing. I sought help. Man, there's something in my heart right now. You want help? House of God, help of others. Don't dare miss church. Don't be late for church. Put yourself in these seats in advance of the service starting. Don't miss one part of the worship experience. Put yourself under the impact of God's word, the atmosphere of his presence. Get into a small group where the word of God, give your house of God, and in that context, somebody is going to say, you know what? This is my story. And you will find yourself going, well, that's my story, but I'm not where you are. And, and they will give you a living example of what grace can do. You're safe with them. You don't have to feel like you're the only one. If we all got just real and came up one after the other and took the microphone, in one way you say, you mean you did that? And in reality, it's like, yes, yes. He did it, she did it, I did it. Because we all fight temptation. If we just confront it, We'll find help, we'll find holiness, we'll be able to separate from it, we'll elevate desire. In a year from now, people would struggle even believing that that's where you were because of how beautiful the transformation will be. Now, if you take this to heart, it can change your future. It can save your marriage. It can save your family. 
It can save your destiny. It can set you up for all that God has for you if you will take this to heart. And just let the temptation go on by because the temptation's not sin. I struggled with that as a teenager. It's like I had to learn temptation's not sin. It's what you do with it. It's what you do with it. I believe somebody wants that help today. Would you just close your eyes? Where are you in the process? What do you need? How could the Lord help you today? He's willing. Lord Jesus, I pray for everyone because it's an everybody moment. For those that are being tempted to to check out the danger zone, the sin zone. They, They haven't even tampered with it, but the thoughts are coming. The attraction is trying to grow. May they see it for what it is and confront it now and elevate desire. For those that are tracking down that road and the music is playing and it's all lining up, it is, it is really becoming a heated experience. Move into that with an awakening of reality. For the person who took the bait and got hooked by the sin, set them free. Set them free as they come with repentance, honest confession, set them free. Lord God, our past does not have to be our future. That's the power of your grace. The shame and guilt associated with sinful choices that we've all made you will lift that guilt and shame and release us to the freedom of a great future and a purpose-filled future without the residue or the nagging impact of guilt. We're free, we can be clean, we can be forgiven. That is your grace. We can then forgive others. We can move on and find all that we could ever desire in you, in you. Thank you, Jesus, for helping us. Thank you for making us not only better, but changing us. Because this is, the gravity of it is, it's life and death. And we choose life. We choose life. The life-giving relationship and source in you. Lord, all of us, I just feel like somebody right now, you're just inundated with a terrible, sinful mistake. If you've asked God to forgive you, You have to forgive yourself. Now, do that. Do that. Because he's forgiven you. He orients you to the future. You're forgiven. Doesn't matter what what happened, if there was damage and wasted time and whatever. There's forgiveness. There's forgiveness. Now, move on. Move on in spiritual health. And live up to who Christ wants you to be. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Notice here the next part. Who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life makes you free from the law of sin and death. No condemnation. You're not moving to a place where it'll be lifted. It is already done. 
no condemnation. Now thrive and soar in the freedom that Christ has given you. And build a life where there's true fulfillment. And it's a story that you would want everybody to know. Sing this with me. I'm no longer a slave to sin. I am a child of God. Just one more time. Take that freedom in. Take the presence of the Lord in. Take the grace in. It's a new day. It's a fresh start. What looked like the finish line becomes a starting line. It's a new day. That's the way grace works. It's amazing. It's miraculous. Thank you, Jesus, for the impact of your love and your Holy Spirit on us right now calling us to who you have created us to be taking us to a new place where the fulfillment is lasting where the joy is not tainted where the pleasure doesn't have an end date thank you Jesus thank you Jesus for blessings thank you Lord for the kind of fulfillment that doesn't expire thank you Lord thank you Jesus Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. Just lift your hands with me right now. Just experience His grace today. Experience His love today. We receive it from you, Lord. You made a way where I could walk right through it. Come on, sing it today. Thank God. He has brought you out. Sing it with me today. Declare that last part, I am. Now come on and celebrate that today. God's grace, God's goodness. Marking your life, not with guilt, but grace. Marking your life, not by the worst sin, but by the most amazing love.
Amen. I have a very important announcement I want to make before you leave. I want you to walk in this grace. The, this series continues. Invite people, bring people, and let's just grow in God's word together. I want to invite Pastor Chris and Megan Cunningham to the platform. And as they join me, let me just bring you guys to where we are in our student ministry and uh, the call of God on their life. Pastor Chris came to me some months ago and said, I'm trying to discern what go, what's going on in my heart. And we just entered a time of prayer, not about what to do, but just what is the Lord saying? And as he has walked that out, the Holy Spirit just has clearly led them to a new position in Baltimore, Maryland. And so they will be transitioning to become executive pastors at Destiny Church in Baltimore. It's a it's a, an amazing transition that they're making. I use the word amazing because of, of how they have walked this out so carefully and prayerfully, wanting to do what God has called them to do. Knowing if they're in step with God, then God has what God wants for us. They came in April of 2011. And it's amazing to have a great couple like this that long. And they have been like image bearers, the impact imprint of your life on all of us is lasting and especially on these students and we love you guys their boys are just incredible Maddox and Grayson and I know that the God that God has the best for you and you're going to fulfill that call and I know this is hard for you it's going to be hard for all of us we're just going to walk through it together and find God's grace find God's help Everything that's planned for this summer is going to happen. Leadership will be provided. But on July 12th, on Wednesday night, students, you're going to have a chance to honor them. And we're going to celebrate what God has done, where he's taking them, and where he's taking us as a student ministry. So I want to say thank you, guys. And as I've told some small groups, the only way I agreed to this is if Kelly and I get their boys every summer. Because I love them so much. This is a precious family. And here's, here's the thing we learn about ministry. Assignments can change, but love never changes. This has nothing to do with love. The love will be as strong five years from now for this house as it's ever been. But the assignment can change. And we, it would be wrong for us not to want them to walk in obedience to that call and to not express faith that if God wants them there, there's a family he's going to bring here and it's going to be in step. It's going to be the fit that God has. And so in that, we honor God. But we walk this out together so it's healthy and we can express the kind of appreciation and love that we have. So we start today. We say thank you and we honor you for six amazing years. They're going to be standing right here. Young people, you can hang out with them. We'll hang out together. Love all of you. Have an awesome afternoon. You're triumphant.